0: Welcome to Salt and Light. It's wonderful to have you with us back in the studio again. We're speaking to Dr. Peter Hammond today. We're going to be talking about the issue of uh, guns and God, or God and guns, uh, specifically with regards to attacks on churches. Uh, Peter's had an interesting life. He's been uh, ministering to persecuted churches uh, all over Africa, Mozambique, Angola, Rwanda, Sudan, all over Africa. Peter's been ambushed. He's gone through... Arterial and artillery bombardments, being stabbed, shot at, arrested, imprisoned, even tortured for Christ. And so we're going to be speaking to somebody that understands the idea of warfare, of self defense, and uh, how we Christians uh, should respond to that after many years of ministry in the field, probably around 35 years or so, I would think now. Peter, welcome to Salt and Light. Thank you, Sean. Yep. Are the years correct?
1: 38 years 38 in years. frontline fellowship there alone. That's not counting my time with Hospital Christian Fellowship and Scripture before, so I've been in missions actually over 40 years. And I've been in 38 countries, worked in 38 countries, traveled in 42, been through eight wars and uh, three revolutions. You are also an avid author, a writer. How many books and manuals? Well, and, uh- if I count manuals and handbooks as well as books, it's now over 70 titles. That is phenomenal. Congratulations. Well done. And thanks for joining us on Salt and Light. Thank you. And I'm 60 years old. I must say, I'm astounded. 60 years young. I'm totally surprised because when I was converted, we were the terminal generation, late great planters, Jesus coming soon, wish we'd all been ready, Larry Norman, Thief in the Night. We were rapture fevered out. And I never thought I'd get married, let alone have children or
0: grandchildren. Well, I remember before (laughs) meeting you that you were referred to as the young director of Frontline Fellowship.
1: So, uh, well, it's a long time ago. I never (laughs) expected to still be going this long, and uh, uh, I just praise God for his mercy and grace because I must say I did some pretty wild, reckless, and foolish things, and yet God was merciful and gracious, and here I am able to see my grandchildren even, so extraordinary. But it's also been because of uh, some people who were wise enough to teach on about self-defense because honestly, as a new Christian, I'm by pacifism. And that was pretty deadly. And that could have terminated my ministry early on if I had continued in that vein. Well, the
0: the kinds of experiences you've had, uh, you wrote the Mozambique Report, if I remember correctly, that must have been a good 30 years ago. Um, that went right through to Congress in America. It was spoken of here in South Africa, lots of television. I remember I didn't know you. I just Saw you on being interviewed about what was going on in Mozambique at the time. Um, how how did the research on that influence you, or did it influence you um, in a theological way regarding the issue of
1: protecting Christians or yes, churches? It did, because as a brand new Christian, converted in nineteen seventy seven, um, tail end of the hippie Jesus Revolution movement. You know, the first newsletter Frontline Fellowship was called the Jesus Revolution. And I actually had visits from security police to find out, am I a communist? And, (laughs) but anyway, um, no, I wasn't. But we were, we were really into the hippie culture, and we really thought this is the term generation. Pacifism was accepted as being super spiritual. So I had a very pacifist tendency as a result. But there's nothing like reality Uh, on the streets of Hillbrow, doing street work in Kempton Park uh, when I was in Hospital Christian Fellowship, coming across people being attacked trying to get involved and then realizing I might have chased off this attacker, but what's to stop him attacking another woman tomorrow night? And and having my pacifism really hurt and undermined. And when I went into the Southern Defence Force doing my national service, I started off as a pacifist, uh, wanting to be a conscientious objector. And Germany said, well, are you willing to? It doesn't seem fair that you uh, don't train with a rifle and uh, clean your rifle and claw through the mud like everyone else. And I said, I've got no problem doing the same training. You oh, well, okay. Um, and... <laughs> And by the time I got through my training, I realized I was wrong. And I'd made such a big scene about pacifism. And yet, as I looked at the Bible and I saw, you know, I was quoting, turn the other cheek. But what did Jesus say? He said, if somebody slaps you on the one cheek, turn to him the other. He didn't say if somebody stabs you on the one cheek. He didn't say if somebody attacks your mother, let them attack your sister as well. Uh didn't say if they bombed this part of the country, allow them bomb that. You know, let's not go further than what G said. He said if somebody slaps you, that's an insult. It's an not insult. a threat to your life and limb. So don't fight over an insult. Like in old uh um society a person would slap a person in the face with a glove and put it down a, I demand satisfaction. Pistols at dawn or swords or you know, a dueling. So don't yeah. fight over an insult. Sure. Turn the other cheek. That's what Jesus said. He didn't tell us that we can't defend our family. In fact, we've got commands in the scripture to fight for your wives and your children and your daughters and your homes. And we're told that a wicked person gives way to the wicked and falls before the wicked. And it's like a polluted spring to give way to the wicked. And uh, Jesus said, if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one, a sword. And he wasn't talking about a, a just spiritual sword because the apostle Peter, produces an actual sword, you know, metal sword, with which he cut off the ear of somebody later on that which, night. Which is probably a pretty good weapon at that time. I think it would have been the best weapon, would have been like the assault rifle of the first century because which that's what sort a of Roman officer the soldiers had. A, a, were carrying. Sword. Yeah. a mm. sword is the best weapon around then. And so she said, you must buy a sword and sell your cloak and buy one if you don't have a sword. So there's no way that you can actually sustain this pacifist narrative if you study the Bible. Like the middle book of the Bible, the biggest book of the Bible, the most quoted part of the Bible when it comes to the Gospels is the Psalms. And the Psalms are written mostly by King David, who is renowned for killing Goliath and a lot of other Philistines Being too. a warrior and soldier. And does God rebuke him for it? Well, actually, he calls a man off to own heart. So uh, when you think of how much of the Bible is written by soldiers, for soldiers, how much the military theme goes through, uh, for example, in New Testament you'll read, as a good soldier of Christ Jesus... Now, it doesn't say as a good prostitute of the Lord Jesus. No. There's, there's some occupations that are not legitimate. And so it says as a good soldier. And so a uh, soldier, athlete, farmer, these are noble professions, and the Lord used them as illustrations of how to be a good Christian. Well, if we look at the titles of your books, um, for instance, Faith Under Fire uh,
0: in Sudan, um, Slavery, Terrorism, and Islam. Um, these, these are people that you've worked with um, that have gone through trials, they've
1: suffered. What have you seen in the mission field? Well, you just think of faith in the fine Sudan. You get to the churches in Sudan, and uh, everyone's carrying rifles, and that includes the pastor often, and uh, the chaplains are carrying the AK-47s. And uh, I remember uh, saying, um, I was taking a picture of the chaplains, we've just given them the first Bibles and bicycles and gospel recordings, uh, man the box who speaks my language, uh, proclaimers and so on, and uh, I said, do you mind just putting your rifles to one side for the picture? Uh, pastors in the West don't carry rifles. And they still stood in there holding rifles and said, why not? They were carrying these to church, Peter? Yes, no, of course. Uh, here they are with their dog collars, the clerical collars. Yes. I mean, I've got the pictures. Yes. Um, I've got them both with and without their rifles. But they, they laughed at me. They thought I was joking when I said pastors don't carry rifles to church. And uh, when I pushed a little bit further and they said, but the Arabs want to crucify us, burn us alive, they destroy our churches, they herd people into congregations and burn them down around them, they're massacring our people, they're kidnapping our women and children. Of course we carry rifles to church. And they looked at me like, Where did you come, come from? And what are you talking about? They could not comprehend the pacifism I was trying to communicate that this could offend some Christians in America or Europe to see pastors standing with their clerical collars in front of their church with their Bibles and their rifles. I got, a, I got a
0: message uh, from somebody who contacted me just the other day who stopped a, a hijacking outside of his church. He shot at the hijacker. The hijacker jumped out the vehicle and ran away. He said he didn't think it would be helpful to shoot the man in the back, so he, he stopped the, the prevention of this poor woman whose handbag had been taken. Her car was being stolen. And after all that, being a Euro and getting the car and the handbag and everything back to the lady the pastor asked him not to come back to the church again because their church is a gun-free zone. I'm talking about South Africa.
1: So oh, my. What advice would you give to the pastor? Well, uh, how about reading the Bible, uh, for starters? Uh, I just completed a six-year project of preaching to every book in the Bible, summarizing the whole book of the Bible in in preparation for 2019, uh, the 50th anniversary of the birth of expository preaching when Ulrich Zwingli opened of the Bible. Matthew 1, verse 1 preached line by line, verse by verse. So we thought uh, it's it's great that we celebrate the Reformation and back to the Bible, but most pastors have never read the whole Bible, and I know that because when I was a student at Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, Professor Fritz Haus, who is our Old Testament exegesis professor, he would ask us at the end of each semester, so how many of you have actually read the Psalms or Exodus or Ezekiel or Daniel, which is a pretty short book through the, which we'd been dealing with the whole semester. And you'd get people confused and saying, I, I read the commentary. And so you read and books he said, about Daniel yes, and so, Isaiah. So uh, he said, you don't read the cookbook and skip the meal. And so <laughs> uh, at, at one graduation, uh, well, actually, it was just before graduation, it was a chapel, all four years of Baptist Theological Seminary there. And Professor Fritzhouse said, Devotions, how many of you have read the whole Bible? Every book, some hands started to go up, and one person said, You mean the New Testament, sir? And Professor Fritzhaus smiled and he said, No, "No, I mean the whole Bible. And Charles, hands went down all over the college. It was humiliating, it was a shock. There were just two of us, two hands in a class, two of us, no, not in a class, in the whole college. And these are people that were preparing to be
0: pastors, some of them in their fourth year,
1: in their fourth year. Oh. I was staggered. But now I understand because you've got pastors who are pacifists. You've got pastors who are uh, against pro-life protests. uh, You've got pastors who are mouthing the mantras of the world and the revolutionary rhetoric of the mobs who are throwing Molotov cocktails and so on. And you think, they obviously haven't read the Bible because if they'd read the Bible and uh, I've just gone through the whole Bible in a six-year period analyzing and summarizing every book of the Bible and there is no way you can suggest the Bible is a pacifist book. Not one book of the 66 books of the Bible is pacifist. God is not a pacifist. Our Lord Jesus Christ is not a pacifist. What do you think is going to happen when the Lord returns? Well, the book of Revelation tells us there's going to be rivers of blood. The Lord Jesus is going to annihilate the armies of Antichrist and his enemies. What does the Lord teach in in his own uh, Gospels, in red letters, if you've got a red letter Bible? As for those people who did not want me to rule over them, these enemies of mine, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Now, those are the words of the Lord Jesus, red letter in a red letter Bible. The Lord Jesus is not a pacifist. In fact, what do you think happened to the 185,000 Assyrians who were surrounding Jerusalem when God killed them one night, or the uh, Pharaoh's charioteers in the Red Sea, when God ambushed them in the Red Sea, or the firstborn of Egypt who was struck with the 10th plague? Do they think God's a pacifist? What about Nias and Sapphira who lied to the Holy Spirit? Uh, the, the amazing thing is people can read the Bible and come up with the idea that God's a pacifist, we've got to be pacifists. every Christian's got to be a pacifist, but who wrote the Psalms and who was most commended by the Lord Jesus? Centurions were most commended. I've not like found the special, faith like this They were anywhere. like the special forces. Yes. Well, one of your books is um, entitled uh,
0: Victorious Christians. You certainly don't believe in us losing uh, our, our battles. <laughs>
1: In fact, in all of history, uh, Victorious Christians Who Changed the World is designed to help home educators and so on. It's lots of great, fun, uh, interesting uh, anecdotes and stories from 32 heroes and heroines through history. And a lot of them are soldiers. Uh, none of them were pacifists. Uh, some of them were martyrs, kings, queens. Uh, there's there's artists, uh, there's reformers and mysteries. But there's a lot of soldiers. I mean, people like Gustav Adolphus and Oliver Cromwell and amazing, you know, uh, praise the Lord, pass the ammunition, trust in God and keep your powder dry. Now, these were uh, views of Christians through the centuries, and pacifism has been a minority opinion, a fringe element of the cults through the centuries. Christianity has always been rescue the perishing. Uh, what is the flag of England? St. George's Cross. Why? St. George rescued people from dragons. Now, that's not strange reptiles. It was from people who were kidnapping youth and involved in slavery. He... His, Uh, You've seen the picture of St. George on his horse with the lance, killing the dragon. But that's symbolic of his war against the slave traders and rescuing people who are in distress. Goodness me. Incredible. I'm Charles von Bake. You're listening
0: to Salt and Light. We're talking to Dr. Peter Hammond, uh, author, missionary, historian, talking about Christian suffering, self-defense, dealing with wartime situations uh, as the church. Peter, just uh, very... Lately, 26th of July, 2020, people were in a church in Centurion, uh, South Africa, near Pretoria, Quarentia Ministries Church. There were thugs that came into the church. The newspapers are referring to them as robbers. Um, I'm amazed they're so clairvoyant, they know their motives. Incredible. Well, we had a a Christian man, Peter van der and who uh, killed two of the attackers. The third one apparently was injured and ran away. Um, Were these people considered robbers? Did Peter van der Westeisen
1: do the right thing? Well, he certainly did the right thing. He obviously saved lives. Armed citizens save lives. And unarmed citizens often become helpless victims. And just think this is one day of the anniversary of the St. James Massacre. Where you were present, as That's you well right. remember. How could you forget? So on the 26th of July, 2020, which is a day after the anniversary of 25 July 1993, when terrorists attacked St. James Church and killed 11 people and severely injured over 50, and but for your prompt and accurate action in responding and shooting back at the terrorists at St. James, many more would have been killed. And the police... Commission at the time commended you for saving lives. So uh, with this in mind, how is it that people could put a newspaper headline? This is some of the worst journalism I've seen recently, that uh, Van de Westezen, uh, naming Joste y- van de brother, involved in church shooting. I mean, to suggest that he's the culprit, like he's the initiator, he's the criminal, whereas he protected the people who were under attack. And then to put that he shot robbers... How do they know their motives? Uh, They come in, they're shooting, pistol whip the pastor, bullets are flying around the the church. Uh, uh, This this youngster is hit by a ricocheted bullet in his chest, which uh, only their bad aim saved people's lives. And the prompt action uh, of this Christian who was not just armed, but mentally and emotionally prepared, and obviously understood the biblical principles of self-defense. So he definitely saved lives, and he should be commended as a hero. And I am astounded and shocked at the shoddy journalism and the very poor uh, thinking behind people wanting to blame him for a shooting uh, instead of praising him for saving lives. And uh, I look at it and I just think, well, uh, in another country, he'd be praised. Because uh, as you remember, at the end of uh, December last year, we actually had this shooting in West Freeway Church of Christ in Texas, 29th of December, and one man walks into church with a shotgun, opens fire, kills two people within two seconds. In a third second, he's dropped by an armed and vigilant member of the church who was part of the church's security team, wise church who took precautions, probably because of your book and your radio programs, that this can happen. What should we do to protect our church? And so they actually had a security ministry. And this uh, deacon was well positioned at the back of the church so he could see and respond quickly. And so instead of Scores of people being killed, which could have easily happened, uh, uh, within three seconds, I think within two seconds, actually, of the first shot being fired by the attacker. Uh, the attacker was dropped by a headshot by this very uh, accurate, prompt, and skilled uh, deacon on the security team. So I think uh, we've got to praise the man in Centurion who saved the lives of who knows how many people now, in that Many attack. would refer to that and say that the Bible is very clear about the fact that we shouldn't kill Right. How do you respond? Well, sixth command, thou shalt not commit murder. Now, uh, that's what it says, murder. There are six different words for kill in the Hebrew, and the word used in the sixth command is thou shalt not commit murder because the 10th command does not forbid self-defense because in the case laws, of Exodus, if you go into Exodus 21, 22, 23, you read that if a thief breaks into your house at night and he structurally dies, there's no guilt for his bloodshed. Now that's a thief. You couldn't see it's dark. You couldn't tell his intentions. He could have been a child rapist, pedophile, murderer, terrorist, who knows? But even if a thief's killed at night in the dark, it's understandable. It's confusion. There's no guilt. So that's not even considered excessive force. How much more if a rapist or terrorist comes into your home or church uh, in the daylight, how much more right is it to kill him? So the Bible is quite clear about the the necessity of capital punishment for murder, self-defense when it comes to attack, uh, capital punishment also for rape and for kidnapping as well, by the way. And uh, when you look at the full law of God, it's quite clear that just as every commandment that's in a negative has a positive with it, you go through the Westminster Catechism, it's quite clear that the Duties demanded by the sixth command is all lawful endeavors, uh, trainings, and actions in order to preserve life, uh, to protect the innocent against the guilty. Therefore, the sixth command commands you to protect and defend the people under attack, and it commands you to practice and train for the skills necessary at the time so that you don't get any collateral damage and miss the, the attacker and get some poor soul in the background who's minding your own business. So, uh, in fact, the sixth command commands us to protect the defenseless, to protect the innocent, to take down the guilty.
0: I've seen people argue and and um, very careful because they argue that when you stand up to protect the innocent, you are becoming a target. And what about your family? They could lose you. Now, Carl Chin, who's the president of the Faith-Based Security Network, it's a group of over 400 member churches in america who are uh, bent on protecting the innocent helping churches set up security teams he had this to say we salute him peter van der westeisen mm-hmm. um, regarding the centurion shooting and thank him for his selfless and responsible actions the next comment is what i want to talk about he knew the minute he pulled the trigger he was also a target but he did it anyway Is there truth in that? Do you really become the target when you
1: stand up for righteousness under these
0: circumstances?
1: Definitely, there is no doubt. In fact, uh, if you you look at that um, West Freeway Church of Christ in Texas video, which is all on live stream, you can see that what happened is as this man produced a shotgun from under his his, uh, jacket and he shot one deacon close at hand, there was another deacon who was trying to draw a firearm uh, who must have been also part of the security team, who got shot second. And then uh the other deacon uh drew had drawn his gun by then and at a very difficult shot, at quite a distance, and over the heads of others in the pew, and he was raising his hand high, he he dropped the terrorist. So plainly, that other man would have been missed if he hadn't stood up where he was trying to become a threat. He, he did not manage to draw his gun fast enough. Of, obviously, the attack had the advantage. His gun is out. Surprise. He's already shot. He had
0: surprise on his side. He,
1: he did. He initiated. And so the moment you stand up to attack, you become a target, a very clear target. So yes, there's no doubt about it. And by the way, when you stand up to talk, whether it's on radio or let it to the editor, uh, you also become a target for verbal attacks from people who want to shout you down if they don't like the opinion you've just expressed. Peter, it's been great uh, chatting to you. Really, really interesting. Um,
0: final comments on the whole idea of churches, security. What do we need to consider? What do we need to think about? How do we need
1: to prepare
0: for the chaos yeah, in South Africa. Right.
1: Well, as a missionary to persecute church, I've got to say churches are under attack more now than almost ever before. Just Nigeria alone in a five-year period, 1,000 congregations were attacked by terrorists, Boko Haram and so on, in a five-year period with 17,000 Christians killed. I'm not even why don't we kidnapped. know about these things? Oh, yes. What about the, without fear of favour, all the news that's fit to print? Where's the investigative journalism out there? It's not that this isn't known, it's that it doesn't fit the narrative. Don't worry about that, because they're only Christians after all. It doesn't matter. There's Christians being attacked in Kenya, in churches, in... Uh, Not just Sudan, uh, not just Egypt, but even in Tanzania, churches are under attack. So it makes sense for us to protect our churches. We should have a security ministry. And if you've got a very small church, at least one deacon who's responsible for security. There's different things we can do, practical things, whether it's a mesh on your windows uh, or a security grid over the windows to prevent petrol bombs or, or grenades being thrown through, maybe a security gate at the door, locking the doors of the church during the service, uh, having a deacon responsible for security at the back of the church. There's some practical things. And so I've produced this Security and Survival Handbook, uh, which thank you for contributing to, Charles, Uh And we've put in a lot of practical input on how churches and missions and farmers and homes should harden their targets and take some sensible precautions to... Uh, protect lives. And this is loving our neighbor. And uh, as Christians, we should teach on what the Bible teaches on this. We should uh, give examples and pray for Christians who are under fire around the world so people aren't in a bubble and ignorant about it. But we must also take some practical precautions. That's loving our neighbor.
0: Amazing, unbelievable ideas that have been spoken about today that uh, I didn't even know And I I seem to try to keep up with these things, but phenomenal information, Peter. I'm Charles von Weick. We've been speaking to Dr. Peter Hammond, uh, author, missionary, uh, been doing amazing work around Africa, um, lots of studies
1: in history. Um, Peter, your website for people to... Yes, frontlinemissionsa.org. So it's www.frontlinemissionsa.org. And our email is mission@frontline.org.za. Are your books on these sorts of topics available for download? We yes. know the
0: postage systems aren't working in South Africa at the no, moment. No, but
1: thankfully we do have an email system. We've put a lot of our books, 29 of our books are available as eBooks as well, and uh, quite a few of our books are available as free eBooks as well. So go to essay.org, You'll see the links. And uh, on Facebook, you'll find us too. We've been trying to put as many of our things as possible as videos and audios and PowerPoints uh, to help reach people now that our postal service is about as useless as the rest of the government.
0: Thank you very much, Dr. Peter Hammond. I'm Charles von Beek. You've been listening to Salt and Light. Please remember to join us again next week. God bless and keep well. <laughs>